Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight podcast for the April issue of the journal Chest. We have a great lineup of original research and review articles in this month's issue. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I'll provide a brief overview of original research manuscripts published in each of our content areas. In our asthma section this month, a study from Polovic and colleagues assessed the association between asthma and lifetime risk of cardiovascular disease using data from the Framingham Offspring Cohort, a prospective population-based cohort of 3,600 individuals. After adjusting for known cardiovascular disease risk factors, they found a hazard ratio of 1.28 in those with asthma, suggesting that asthma should be considered a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and managed as such. A chest review on the topic of air pollution and asthma completes this section. In our chest infection section this month, Azar and colleagues explore whether adding clinical metagenomics, an unbiased pathogen detection method to conventional microbiologic testing, is able to improve the diagnostic yield for pneumonia in immunocompromised adults. 30 such individuals with pneumonia who underwent bronchoscopy and BAL over a two-year time period were evaluated. A final microbiologic diagnosis was made in 35% of cases using conventional microbiologic testing and 58% with the combination of conventional testing and clinical metagenomics, with most of the increase from the identification of additional bacterial pathogens. The potential impact on management and antimicrobial stewardship of adding clinical metagenomics was estimated to be quite significant. Two research letters in this section explore viral testing for COVID-19, one suggesting viral RNAemia is associated with clinical prognosis, and the other identifying a viral gradient between the nasopharynx and deep lung in critically ill patients. A How I Do It review on managing mycobacterium avium complex completes this section. In our COPD section this month, Zafari and colleagues modeled the 20-year health and economic burden of COPD in the United States using country-specific data and publicly available data sets, modeled population growths across subgroups, and severity grades based on smoking status. They estimated the direct medical cost to be approximately $800 billion and indirect absenteeism costs approximately $100 billion. 315 million exacerbations, a loss of 45 million quality-adjusted life years, and 9.4 million deaths were estimated to be associated with COPD over this time frame. This data may assist with decisions about targeted funding for cost-effective interventions. A second original research article in this section identified an association between frequent exacerbations 
in small airway dysfunction related to increased cellular inflammation. These findings provide insight into disease mechanisms that may guide future treatment. A research letter describing disparities in influenza vaccination in COPD patients completes this section. Our critical care section this month includes six original research articles. The first addresses a question of whether ICU telemedicine implementation affects adjusted mortality outcomes. The authors found a reduction in risk-adjusted ICU mortality with implementation of ICU telemedicine, driven predominantly by overnight admissions, further supporting the provision of this service. The second publication in this section, a single-center retrospective analysis of prospectively collected data, found that a conservative initial IV fluid resuscitation strategy did not correlate with decreased rates of hypoxemic respiratory failure compared to receipt of a guideline-recommended fluid bolus. The third, a study assessing the comparative effectiveness of atrial fibrillation medications on heart rate control in critically ill patients with sepsis and atrial fibrillation found that beta blocker treatment was associated with improved heart rate control at one hour, but similar control at six hours compared to other atrial fibrillation medications. Shifting gears, the fourth article in this section found that individuals with cardiogenic shock and non-ST elevation MI or left bundle branch block MI presentations had more cardiac risk factors than those with ST elevation MI, but the ECG presentation was not an independent risk factor for mortality and did not modify treatment effect. The fifth study in this section is a non-inferiority randomized clinical trial assessing the feasibility of applying a sigh during pressure support ventilation in those with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. They found that it was feasible to apply the sigh and that this led to improvement in oxygenation, tidal volume, respiratory rate, and minute ventilation. The final publication in this section was a retrospective analysis of the National Center for Health Statistics nationwide mortality data that showed acute respiratory failure-related mortality increased annually from 2014 through 2018 across subgroups of age, sex, race or ethnicity, urbanization status, and geographical region. This information may guide priorities for research, clinical care, and policy. A How I Do It review on dosing IV fluids in early septic shock and a special feature article on coping during the COVID-19 pandemic complete this section. Our diffuse lung disease section this month includes a study by King and colleagues that aimed to identify the relationship between anticoagulation and outcomes in patients with ILD from the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation Patient Registry. The authors found that the need for anticoagulation was associated with an increased risk for death or transplant in patients with ILD, with the association robust to adjustment for confounding factors in those receiving warfarin, but not those receiving a direct oral anticoagulant. This finding supports additional research assessing the choice of anticoagulant in individuals with ILD. The second study in this section determined the essential components of an ILD clinic 
from the perspective of physician experts, patients, and caregivers. Items in four categories, members, infrastructure, resources, and a multidisciplinary conference achieve consensus as essential to an ILD clinic, while patients and caregivers identified three major themes, comprehensive patient-centered medical care, expanded access to care, and comprehensive support for living and coping with ILD. These practical results provide guidance for the development or improvement of ILD clinics. In our education and clinical practice section this month, a study by Wong and colleagues assessed whether positive airway pressure therapy administered through an oronasal mask leads to communication impairment and if a communication device could lessen the impairment. In this randomized controlled trial, the authors found that word and sentence intelligibility decreased by more than 50% with PAP use. Use of the communication device substantially improved communication intelligibility and comfort with the PAP device. This is an exciting advance for those requiring PAP therapy. A second study published in this section described the rate and presentation of pneumothorax in a cohort of Duchenne muscular dystrophy patients requiring prolonged ventilatory support and the potential role of CT imaging in identifying risk factors. This section also contains research letters assessing aerosol generation during pulmonary function testing and cardiopulmonary exercise and chest reviews on telehealth and leading through change. In our pulmonary and cardiovascular section, a study by Vanderbruggen and colleagues assesses the predictive value of non-invasive parameters, including cardiac MRI findings in idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension. Prognostic models were developed based on clinical variables and or hemodynamic and imaging parameters. Models that combined clinical and MRI or right heart cath parameters obtained at baseline performed similarly, while changes in MRI parameters at one year had additional prognostic value. This identifies another tool that can be used to assist with prognostication for patients with idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension. A second study published in this section used the Department of Veteran Affairs Clinical Assessment Reporting and tracking database to assess the relationship between the use of RAS inhibitors, both ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers, and survival in patients with pulmonary hypertension of any cause. They found a lower mortality in those receiving an ACE inhibitor or ARB across pulmonary hypertension phenotypes. This may lead to further evaluation of the role of these drugs in treating pulmonary hypertension patients. The chest sleep medicine section this month includes a study by Pepin and colleagues that evaluated whether pitolescent, a selective histamine H3 receptor antagonist, reduces daytime sleepiness in individuals with moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea who still have residual excessive daytime sleepiness despite CPAP adherence. In this multi-centered, double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial, the authors reported significant improvement in the Epworth sleepiness score without significant safety concerns when patolescent was added to CPAP therapy. 
This result identifies a new treatment option for this patient group. A second study in this section identified an association between sleep study-derived circulation time and both cardiovascular and all-cause mortality in an older male cohort, suggesting that this measure could be a marker of subclinical cardiovascular disease in patients with sleep-disordered breathing. Our thoracic oncology content area includes a few impactful studies this month. In the first, the authors performed a retrospective analysis of nearly 170,000 patients in the National Cancer Database who underwent resection for non-small cell lung cancer to determine how reversible differences in the quality of care contribute to institutional level disparities in survival. They found that differences in the quality of surgical resection and post-operative care accounted for 11 to 25% of institutional survival disparities. Addressing these readily correctable processes could lead to improved outcomes for early-stage lung cancer patients. A second study in this section identified over 1,100 patients in 19 centers in France who received a plural procedure and found that those receiving antiplatelet therapy had a higher risk of post-plural procedure bleeding and serious bleeding, adding information to help assess the risks and benefits of performing plural procedures in this group. A final study in this section found a very low risk of Hyler N3 disease identified during EBIS staging bronchoscopy in those with negative PET imaging findings in the Hyler N3 station unless PET imaging was positive in the mediastinal N3 stations. This may help guide the need to sample the Hyler N3 station in these patients. Finally, I encourage you to take a look at a fascinating review on race correction and spirometry in our Humanities and Chest Medicine series. Our case series publications for the month provide novel and educational cases to test your clinical skills. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high-quality content available in this month's issue of CHEST. As always, I'm grateful to the authors of this work, the reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these submissions, and to our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the April issue. Thanks for listening to the CHESS Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chestjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.